This week, uh, as uh, some of you know, Rose and I went to a conference, a pastor's conference in uh, beautiful Canmore, Alberta, surrounded by the mountains. It was gorgeous there. Um, we took, you know, clothes <laughs> to be ready for anything because, you know, they, well, there was snow on the ground along the highway in a lot of places, but... Uh, it was actually beautiful there, and it's funny that as soon as we got back, you know, in that area somewhere, you know, near the Coquihalla Summit or, you know, getting closer to Hope, it was pouring rain. It was like, well, we're back, uh, you know, back home. But the difference of how green it is here, and the, like Rose said, she didn't see one flower in Alberta. And, you know, our yard, we came back, and the grass is just... It's a jungle there, but it was a great conference. It was the first um, IAM, uh, International Association of Ministries, which is where I have my license, and Pastor Mel, who uh, many of you uh, would know until he passed away five months ago, Pastor Mel was the founder and uh, president of IAM, although the last few years he has been um, I guess you would say the president emeritus because another man was leading. Pastor Mel didn't have the energy for that. But uh, it was the first conference without him. And uh, so they, you know, honored him and told stories about uh, the, the leaders of uh, IAM told stories about how Pastor Mel had come into their lives, how he impacted their lives. But... Um, the, it was good. It was, the word was great. We came back kind of refreshed, some fresh vision. But while we were there, uh, Rose and I do not own uh, a bathroom scale uh, for weighing ourselves. But <laughs> I was curious, and I opened one of the you know, cupboards in the uh, bathroom, and there was a weigh scale. And I thought, okay, it's... <laughs> been a while and you know COVID hasn't really been the greatest thing around you know the fridge is open a lot of the time and you know so anyway I took that thing out and uh, you know made sure I wasn't wearing shoes I was wearing as little as possible so they could really give me the truth and I stood on it and I thought hey that's not bad I'm not going to tell you what it said but it, I thought okay that's not bad well, a few hours later, you know, and I was pretty happy. I thought, all right, I could, I could for sure lose a few. I know it. Um, that was your chance to say no, John. Don't, how could you even say that? A few hours later, I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> Rose, Rose says to me, obviously, she had found the scale too. <laughs> Rose comes in and she says, that scale is off by about 10 pounds. <laughs> That bathroom scale in there is bogus. There is no way that's correct. It's off by like 10 pounds. And my countenance fell. <laughs> she she kind of said it, and it's just kind of like, okay, well, she might have been speaking the truth, but she wasn't speaking it in love. She could have... She, she could have been a little more sensitive. You know, I, like I just felt like I don't really feel safe with you right now. <laughs> anyway, it's, uh, so I, now I don't really know. 
Because I think when I last borrowed one from Serena, it said about the same as this one. So I don't care what you say, sweetie. <laughs> I'm taking it. I'm, I'm believing for what that scale said. Uh, Father, I pray that you'd put the word in us that you would speak. We know you'll speak the truth to us in love. And pray that you'll change us with it in Jesus' name tonight. Thank you for your word, God. Amen. All right, I'd like to, uh, if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, I know that the scripture will go up here, uh, but if you want to turn in your Bible, uh, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. Paul writing says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, verse 2 of this, it's interesting that this passage, um, you know, Paul says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And he starts this section, uh, section off by saying uh, something about the traditions that he was handing down. Well, verse 2 says, I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Now he's giving this one um, monumental uh, sacred act in the church. There are only a few traditions like this. Really, maybe only two. Baptism and communion. Only two things that are these sort of sacred acts that uh, carry the kind of weight that they do. And he says, I handed this down to you. Now, he says here, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And he starts to talk about the Lord's Supper or communion, or those from a Catholic background might know it as the Eucharist, which means thanksgiving. So here, this book, 1 Corinthians, where we find this writing of Paul, was written in about A.D. 55, which almost for sure, was before any of the four gospel accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. For sure, uh, Matthew, Luke, and John were written much later. Mark is the only one that was possibly around this time. Why does that matter? This would be the earliest quote of something... This would be the earliest quote of Jesus, a direct quote... He, if you've got a red letter Bible where the words of Jesus are in red, like mine, this passage, the, the, uh, these couple uh, verses are written in red. He's quoting Jesus here. It's the first time anybody had done 
so. And this is the first account then also of communion, even before it's mentioned in the Gospels, which of course hadn't been written yet. And Paul is handing down this important practice for uh, followers, uh, for the followers of Christ, for their faith, to build them up. And this practice, this tradition, has come all the way down to us 2,000 years after Christ, which means that it means what Jesus did was for us too. Like Paul was speaking this around the middle of the first century, quoting Jesus who said, this is my body which is for you. This is also spoken to us. It got handed down through Paul, then it got handed down through the next generation and the next and the next. And here we are in 2022, and this is my body. This is my body, Jesus says, which is for you. For you. This is, this is direct for us, okay? It's a, it's a glorious thing. He did, he did this way before we valued it or cared about it at all. I, I didn't become a believer till I was 23. And, you know, that was a while ago now, but nothing close to when Jesus offered this and said, this is for you. But then I came to Christ and realized this is for me. At the conference Rose and I were at, uh, we had lunch with this wonderful young couple who pastor a church in Calgary. And um, we met them at a pastor's retreat uh, about eight, nine months ago. And uh, we just, boy, we just clicked. We really got along well. I mean, they, they just like us, not just Rose. They like me too. I'm not even sure. Um, anyway, they told us about how they met. We were having lunch. We sat in this restaurant. I don't even know how many hours we sat there. Uh, we saw the servers change shift. You know, they came, the lady says, I'm closing out. So, you know, if you guys want to take care of your bill. And she was delightful. But we sat in there and they told us, we, we told them a little about our story. But mostly we got to hear how this young couple met and the supernatural circumstances there. But as they told us about how they met, it also involved how they met Jesus. It was all kind of intertwined as life is. And uh, in the course of the husband's story, he talked about a couple of just supernatural ways that God made himself known uh, to him or gave him direction. In fact, at one point, he was living in Los Angeles and he said he, he woke up not walking with God at all, hadn't been raised even in a Christian home, and he had the sense, moved to Calgary. And at that time, uh, he didn't know anybody there. I mean, that's a, a very strange leading. And he, he had a sense, moved to Calgary, soon moved there. And uh, all the things that took place. But the, the point here is that he got kind of emotional when he talked about how God intervened in his life to do things, and he put people in his life and a church on his street and uh, did extraordinary things to get a hold of him. And he got emotional, and he, he said, I, 
it wasn't like I was just not fully committed or anything. He said, I didn't care a bit about anything to do with God. I, I didn't care at all. And he was saying in this how he wasn't in any kind of a search for God, but God. But God intervened. God stepped in. That's one of those great phrases in the Bible. Something's going this way, and then it says, but God. God has a plan. This guy's living his life just, you know, foolishly, selfishly. But God had something. So that God led him to what his heart longed for, even before he knew what he was longing for. And I can attest to the same thing. God knew what I needed, what I wanted, even when I thought it was something totally different, even before this guy knew it. And so he got emotional because he knew that God's grace was active. It wasn't that, oh, I searched so hard, I did this, I did that, I, I you know, attained this or attained that, and then God came through. No, God started intervening and steering him in a direction to bring him to himself. Even it was God's grace. And I can say the same thing. The same thing. I didn't care. I really didn't know. And then at a certain point, a hunger got kind of stirred an appetite for the things of God and same thing and he got emotional I thought oh I love it I love that this guy recognizes it's God's grace God has a plan that supersedes his not only it was before we cared that God already had done something extraordinary supernatural loving to get a hold of us it was before we cared we were lost and we were even blind to the fact that we're lost and God said I'm gonna start doing something now but God when you're in a bad circumstance this week today whenever it is I want you to remember that phrase this looks impossible this looks bleak i'm not sure what can happen here remember this phrase but god he's got options he's got resources so that when it looks like no i've ex- i've spent all the possible uh resources i've got and i don't mean money resources maybe it could be that too but i've used up all my resources and i can't fix this situation i can't rectify the situation But God, God's got another avenue. That's grace. And communion, the Lord's Supper, points to the grace of God. The grace of God. He did something before we even cared. So, we do this as we just read. Jesus says, He took bread when He had given thanks. He broke it and He said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of of me. We're looking back on something. He even said that to his disciples. This is almost like, you know, he's saying, do this in remembrance of me while it's future. For them, it was future. It hadn't even happened yet. You're going to be doing this again in remembrance of me. Right now, I'm telling you to do it, but for us, it's always been in remembrance. We're always looking backward at 
this great thing that Jesus did. We're looking back to what he did in the past. He says of the bread, this is my body which is for you. Meaning, it's more than a mere symbol. It represents his body um, like a symbol, but it's also a means of accessing him and the reality and benefits of his sacrificed body. He was saying it to the disciples there. This bread, I'm going to just take one of these. This bread, he, he held up, says, this is my body, which is for you. Now that must have been a little bit of a head scratcher because he's standing there. This represents my body. And when this night's over, you're going to look back on this and remember that I said that. And this bread will be a means of accessing the reality of what I sacrificed for you. I sacrificed my body on the cross for you. For you. This was done for your benefit. So he's saying this to the disciples ahead of it happening. And it'll be, you'll access the reality of his sacrifice through faith, okay? Jesus said, I did this for you. There was a purpose to his suffering. It, is, it was not just, okay, make the best of a bad situation. No, there was a purpose to his suffering. He did this for us. When you eat this bread, let it speak to you about my body, he's saying. When you do this, when you reenact, and really, communion is like the, the body and the blood, the bread and the, we use grape juice or the wine. These things represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And he says, these things, my body, my blood was sacrificed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When he says remembrance, the word is a word that, means call to mind, intentionally call it to mind. It's not just like, oh, it popped into your head. It's like, no, think about it. Remember on purpose, intentionally call to mind Jesus' sacrifice for you. I want to add that the precision of the Greek word that this is originally written in, that uh, Paul wrote this uh, passage in, the, the precision of this Greek word that Jesus use, uses means for me. And the word me is emphatic. It, it's pointing to Jesus is at the center of it. The same word is in the next uh, verse too where he says, this uh, cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's like there's an emphasis on my. And he says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Christ, communion points to Christ at the center of all things. It's about him. My blood, my body, do it in remembrance of me. We remember the covenant established in his blood. That's what he does for us. Okay, so we do this in remembrance of Jesus. That is looking back at what he did in the past for us. Knowing and remembering how Jesus demonstrated his love, his justice, his mercy, his holiness for us in the past fuels our faith in the present. What he did for me 
2,000 years ago when I intentionally remember it fuels my faith now that God is for me. God is never not going to be for me. God has done these great things for us so that we can trust him now. He did it in the past, but he did it so that we can trust him now in the present. God doesn't intend for us to live only looking in the rearview mirror. It's good to look back and remember, but he doesn't intend for us to just live in the past and saying, oh, I remember how I felt when I first came to Christ and I knew that he loved me. Oh, those were the good old days. You know, it's kind of weary and dreary now in my faith, but that was sure great then. You should come to Christ too. <laughs> Who would do that? You know, it wasn't just a glorious moment in the past. It's, it's like now. Um, we don't, we would think it's strange if somebody just said, well, I, you know, I told my spouse I loved them when I got married and nothing's changed. If anything changes, I'll let you know. No, we wouldn't do that. We want to hear it. We need to hear it. Anybody? Yeah, nobody raised their hand. Uh, Listen, I need to hear it. I know that we, you know, we need a refresher. Amen? We need these things, these kinds of things to be present realities, not just past blessings, but present realities. We're walking with God in an ongoing relationship, not just a past commitment. Amen? In fact, the Greek phrase here, where he says, do this in remembrance of me, actually means keep on doing this. Keep doing it. It doesn't mean, you know, do this like once. It, it, it's this, uh, it means present continuous is the, the language that's used. Keep on doing this. Do it and keep on doing it. Just like in another place, that tense is used when it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it means be filled and keep being filled. Here is keep on doing this. Keep remembering. Keep doing this faith practice. We need faith for today. He knows we need constant renewing in regard to his covenant relationship and commitment to us. He knows we need that. We, we will run out. We will run on empty. Anybody here ever feel like you're running on empty? You, you, need, a, you need to be refilled. You need a refresher. You need a restoration. You know, and, and we don't need to be ashamed of our constant need. God knows that we leak. He knows that faith leaks out. It drains out. It wears down. It, you know, we need to be recharged. And he's made provision for it, thank God. Even this very practice, he's saying, remember me every time you do it so that you'll be renewed. Amen? Amen. A word about covenant, really quickly. We don't, that's not a word we use a whole lot of. Uh, whenever I do a wedding, I like using the word covenant because it means even more than just commitment. Covenant is, is something that used to mean life or death. When somebody would make a covenant, they would have provisions in it that if I fail to keep this, and they would have certain provisions, let this be what happens to me. And they would include those things. Covenant has commitments and responsibilities in it, but it also has promises. So when God made a covenant with us, he came to us and said, 
Here, there's all these promises. I have all this that I'm committing myself to do for you. All of it came from him. He's the one with all of the resources of love, the resources of wisdom, the resources of life, the resources of everything. And he comes and says, I'll do all this for you. What's our our responsibility, our commitment to him is faith. I'll believe. I'll trust. I'll depend on you. It isn't that we, it isn't our ability to keep the law, because if that was the case, we're in a lot of trouble. Uh, we, we just can't do it. It's dependent on, again, the grace of God, the free grace of God offered to us. Our part is faith. Trust Jesus, who, who did keep the whole law of God, and then paid for our lawlessness with his own life. Our part now is to trust him, depend on him. Okay. Now Paul writes in verse 26, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim or you announce or you testify to the Lord's death until he comes. By this act of faith and remembrance... Remembering what Jesus did for us in the past, we are announcing his death. We're testifying to his death. We're not just testifying to the reality of Jesus' um, death, like, oh, he just died. But, you know, like every other human being, we're testifying that he died sacrificially. That's what that means. It doesn't just mean, oh, Jesus died. That's really too bad. We thought he was going to be the Messiah. No, we're... He died for us. He died sacrificially. Again, he suffered for a purpose, to restore us. So we're testifying to the kind of death, the purpose of his death, the glory of his death, the riches of what that death did for us, for all sinners. That means, that means us. He did that for all sinners. So that means for us. We're testifying that he died and we believe. As often as we take communion, we're testifying to that. That adds some weight to the Lord's Supper in my view. Okay, we're almost done. So we remember what he did. Thank you, Lord. So now we can live in a close relationship with him in the present as he transforms us to be like himself. Thank God. So past and present are intertwined in communion. This represents what Jesus did in the past. This represents the blessing that comes to us in the present. But he adds this phrase, when you eat and drink, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I like this. These three time zones, past, present, and future. What he did for us in the past, what it means for us today, and the promise of what it's going to be in the future. And this is, this is the, the granddaddy of promises. I mean, a lot of great things come to us in Christ in this life. But we're announcing, we're proclaiming his death And what it means, until he comes. That promise, that 
declaration, the fact that he's coming back for us. Communion encompasses the future too. Communion looks ahead to the glorious return of Jesus where he'll abolish death and every enemy and he'll reign forever. Like, you know, I said a moment ago that remembrance means to intentionally um, think on something, to call to mind something from the past. Well, here he's saying, we proclaim his death until he comes. Call to mind the reality of Jesus' return. As I get a little bit older, and I know I'm not the only one who's done this, I, I, I forget now, uh, uh, I think it was a particular theologian who, who was talking about how when he crossed the threshold of heaven, he said one of the first people he wanted to meet, and I thought this was interesting because I would think, you know, who, Paul the Apostle or, you know, Peter or, you know, somebody, Daniel or Elijah or somebody. He said, I want to see Mozart. And, you know, I don't know, he seemed to have some knowledge that Mozart would be there. I, you know, I don't know. Um, I have heard that the movie about Mozart's life is fabrication, that he was not as immoral as that movie put up, but I don't know. He said, I want to see Mozart. But the thing that struck me about what this guy said was he said, the older I get, the more I realize the inevitability of where I'm going to end up, what's going to take place, it's going to come to an end here. And he said, the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm preparing myself for the fact that I will step out of this life at some point into the next. And he said, I started thinking, I should know something about it. I want to know as much as I can possibly know about what's going to happen. And there's not that much. There's pictures of it. There's, I, I mean, not pictures, but, you know, my, my Bible has some pictures. Um, it was the expensive Bible. But no, there's word pictures of what we can expect. But, you know, most of it, we read it and it's kind of like, huh? Well, I don't exactly know what that's going to look like, you know. Streets of gold that are, the gold is so clear like glass. Well, what does that mean? Clear gold? I don't know. You know, sounds like it is glass. <laughs> you know, I, I don't get it. And creatures, you know, that kind of thing. There's a lot of that kind of, I don't, I, I know that I, I, I can only imagine it on the, you know, a little tiny bit. But what I do know is that Jesus is going to be there. And in this verse, it's talking about Jesus coming here. If I'm still alive when that happens, I can't imagine that anything that's ever happened in the history of the world will compare to that thing. Seeing the heavens open up and the victorious Son of God coming in his blazing glory and his people um, will, it says, be with him forever. I want to prepare myself for that reality, that eventuality. That's what communion points to. Not just Jesus 2,000 years ago, 
Not even just, oh, how I experience Jesus sort of subjectively in this hour, but it points ahead to the glorious finale, the consummation of the ages, when Jesus is personally with his people. And we behold the Father on the throne and Jesus at his right hand. Well, I guess at his right hand, you know, we'll be looking at him like it's going to be mind-blowingly glorious. And those words mean nothing in comparison to what it'll be. Communion is about that. The coming of the Lord. The past, the present, the future. Amen? So, in all of this, faith for the present is wonderful. But this sacred tradition addresses our past, it fuels our present, it ignites our future with hope. It should ignite our future with a living